since we're going through, we've got to have two swords with me today, so actually I have one marked up and I got a new Bible, so I'm not as comfortable, but um, I love how the Lord works things out, uh, worthy is the lamb that was slain, uh, is what we sang, and so uh, for the scripture reader reading today, um, I'd like to read that, because uh, it's God's word and it gives all glory and worthy to the King of Kings. So if you'll stand with me, we'll read Revelation 5. Revelation 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And in between the throne and the the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints." And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard, and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, we can all say it together, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. You may be seated. Father, I just um, thank you that we can sing this song of redemption uh, every day of our lives. Because we know that the King has come for which we celebrated last week. He was born to die, to pay the price, to be the substitute, to be the sacrificial perfect Lamb who paid the price for our sins so that those who trusted Him can have life eternal, forgiveness of sins, the indwelling Spirit, and restoration of life, a guarantee of what's to come. And what is to come is the return of our great King. And so we um, look forward to that. We anticipate that just as the first coming. And Father, I pray this time as we look at uh, uh, the prophecy of the revelation of Jesus Christ that uh, we would be um, drawn uh, to worship, just like, uh, just like the song that we sang perhaps last week, Come Let Us Adore Him, um, 
the message of the, the, the angels to the shepherds, the, uh, the worship of the, the wise men, all these things that we celebrate. And may we continue to do that as we proclaim uh, not only that he's come, but that he paid the price, that, he, that he's alive, that he walked out of the grave, and that he's coming back again. And to that end, and for your glory, we pray this time uh, that it be a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Merry post-Christmas to you all. Uh, some of you had a restful Christmas. Others were with family. Um, and perhaps, just kidding, uh, perhaps uh, now back trying to get into rhythm. And um, either way, everyone who kind of enjoys the Christmas season uh, the thrills and the joys that we feel sometimes kind of uh, fade away um, as we get back into the rhythm of, of life and um, disappointed relationships and uh, routine kind of things, painful struggles. And um, I don't know if, you, about, if that happens to y'all, but I was out of town and kind of had that high for a few days, and then I leave, and I, 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 have this, I always have that when, I'm, when I leave somewhere. It's like an achy feeling. Uh, it's like a void uh, a longing for something that would last continually. And uh, for believers, since we've trusted in Christ, if that's happened, we've been redeemed by Christ. But we still live in a broken world, and we, we, we're still dealing with the remnants of our flesh. We long for uh, the, create, the, the fulfillment of what God began in us. And that's what we celebrated with the, the coming of Christ, the first advent, that He came to die to redeem us through His death, providing forgiveness of sins and restoration of life for those who trust in Him. This is the first coming. This is the, the Lamb of God. And so what I want to do this time is, because um, today I'm, I'm going to be looking at the return of Christ, uh, something I'm doing with our church in Spring Branch, and so I'm going to do that here with you guys. So, um, But in order to begin that, I, I, I love having uh, little um, uh, younger kids uh, I need two volunteers who would, who would uh, come up here, who were brave enough to come up here. Okay, come on up. So the first Advent. The first Advent. Um, we celebrated the coming of the Lamb, right? Um, and that's what last week was all about. And as a result of that Lamb going to the cross... Um, to pay the price and to raise from the dead. When we trust in Him, the Spirit uh, indwells us, gives us new life, and we have a new covenant community that it's called, that's, that's sent out. Um, and now we look forward, we anticipate, we even do that in communion, the return of Christ, um, the return of the King, the return of the, the uh, one from the, the root of the, the, the tribe of David. Um, and that is the lion. And so I need another young person to come up here and hold this. Who's going to do that for me? One brave young person. All right, come on up. Come on up. Okay. So why don't you stand over here? Why don't you stand over here? Okay, so we have the first advent. Raise the lamb in the air. Okay, now the second advent, the second coming is the lion. The, uh, the picture of Jesus coming not as a lamb, not as a suffering servant, but as a victorious king. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read something about the lamb and then something about the lion. When I say something about the lamb, I want you to raise your hand and then you put it back down. And then when I say something about the lion, you raise your hand. Okay, and I'll point to you. All right. 
So Jesus came the first time as a lamb to take away the sins of the world. He will come a second time as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Good. He came the first time in meekness, riding on the foal of a donkey. He will come the second time as a conqueror, riding on a white horse. He came the first time as a servant in humility. He will come the second time as a king in power. He came the first time as a savior to die. He will come the second time as a judge to rule. He came the first time to wear a crown of thorns. When he comes the second time, the cry will be, bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. He came the first time to be beaten with rods. He will come the second time to rule the nations with a rod of iron. He came the first time to die on a cruel cross. He will come the second time to reign on a glorious throne. When he came the first time, he owned, his own received him not. When he comes the second time, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Good job, y'all. So we're in that overlap of the ages where uh, we've trusted in Christ and the, the, the new has broken in on the old because the Spirit has come, given us a, a taste of what is to come, convicting the world of, of sin and righteousness, is awakening people up to uh, the beauty of Christ while we await the groom of the church, Jesus Christ. Uh, so we go from the manger... Um, which focuses on the purpose of the manger was to, to lead to, or the shadow of the manger, to say it that way, was the cross. That that was the reason Jesus came, was to, to die. But the gospel is not just that He died, but He rose again, right? Um, but the bigger picture is that it leads to His return. It doesn't just end there. So evil will ultimately be stopped and judged forever, and the longing with Christ will be fully realized our faith, we walk by faith and not by sight, but one day our faith will become sight when we see the return of Jesus. And so that's what this, this message is about, that Jesus will return to judge, reign, and restore. Jesus will return to judge, reign, and restore. So what God has began, He's going to fulfill because Jesus is worthy. The Lamb that was slain is worthy. And so we're going to look at the first chapter of Revelation. So if you will, turn to Revelation 1. And you're going to see the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what the, the title is, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, um, at the ch church I'm at now, we're going through a series of creation, uh, fall, redemption, what we focused in on last uh, uh, Christmas and then restoration. God is bringing it full circle. And so, uh, let, me, let me pray again just before we start. I'd like to do that. Lord, I pray um, as we read Revelation 1 and just kind of overview things that, uh, we wouldn't get, that I wouldn't get caught up in um, different uh, details necessarily that, 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 that uh, overshadow the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, that we would be drawn to uh, the person of Jesus, that he's coming back again. Um, Lord, to that end we pray. Amen. Um, before we begin, I just want to say broadly speaking, and this is, uh, I don't, I've never done this from, from the pulpit, 
uh, kind of an overview of Revelation, so I'm a, I'm a little uh, trembling right now trying to make sure I do this well. But Revelation is, uh, is a book that is apocalyptic literature. It's highly symbolic. It's uh, colorful language, but it's written in the form of a, an epistle, a letter. Um, it's prophecy, and there are all sorts of fun interludes and um, previews and flash forwards and things like that. But uh, basically, um, uh, I, I see the Revelation as being mostly future um, there are different interpretations, uh, different perspectives that people come from. Uh, some people see it mostly fulfilled in the past or throughout church history or even a symbolic representation of good over evil. Um, but I see it as uh, at least chapters 4 uh, and following as mostly future, which I think is how um, you guys, your perspective would be. Um, first couple of chapters dealing with the church, uh, followed by a Great time of tribulation, of judgment, of the wrath of God poured out on the earth, followed by Jesus, the great glorious appearing, the blessed hope of Jesus, who will come to reign um, on this earth, on the throne of David, for a thousand years, which will simply be the front porch to eternity forever and ever. And so verse 1 of chapter 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what... uh, the things that must soon take place. So this revelation is, uh, the, the word means uh, un- to unveil or to disclose. Um, it's, it's apocalypsis. It's the uncovering or the unveiling. Uh, of, uh, it's like the curtain is being pulled back. This vision that John gets of the future. This revelation of Jesus Christ. It's, it's all about Him and it's from Him. And God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. And so there's a, there's a relay of information from the Father. See that in verse 1, which God gave him. Okay, the Father gave the Son, Jesus, this message. And we're going to read that this message from the Son was then given to the angel, which was given to John, which was then given to the churches. Okay, so which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he certainly would have had lots of testimony being with Jesus. Even to all that he saw. And so there's, there's uh, this is this, what soon must take place. All right, so the events um, will happen soon. Christ is going to return. Repayment is going to happen for sin. Relief is going to occur for those in Christ. He's coming back. There's certainty in that. And whenever I read Revelation, um, and I think this is comforting as we experience highs and lows throughout our life, but whenever I read the, the, the end times, the future kind of stuff, uh, it's kind of a, 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 it kind of wakes me up to um, the fact that our life is temporary, right? But there's a greater um, plan ahead. But God can use us now. And it often encourages me to get busy in evangelizing, to get busy in walking right before the Lord. And that's part of the encouragement that this is to the churches, was to encourage the church to endure, to challenge them to, to, to live godly, um, to not be satisfied with the things of this world, uh, but to show God's program involving the coming of the Messiah. 
And of course, to give people opportunities to repent because God is, is, is patient, not willing for anyone to perish. Um, and of course, it's a, it's, it's a blessing. If you read in verse 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. So there's a blessing that's, that's truth number one. If you're writing something down, there's a blessing for the one who reads, hears, and keeps the word, the, uh, uh, the prophecy of Revelation. There's a blessing. Um, especially in that culture, as they read it, the original setting where they, they would read it often, there was a, 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 there was a gift of a, of a blessing for that. Um, the message of Christmas was that Christ humbled himself in coming here. Therefore, we humble ourselves towards one another. The message of the post-Christmas is that um, we are preparing for the bride, for the return of Christ. And so um, the blessing that we see as we read here and keep this, or part of it, is that, um, that we are encouraged and that Christ is coming back. And what is written in it is the layout, the program, God's program that the that there's going to be a resurrection of believers. There's going to be a time of trouble. There's going to be a regathering of, of His people. And, and Christ is going to fulfill all the promises throughout the Old Testament. All the covenants will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Yet not all of them are yet fulfilled. But He's going to fulfill them all completely. All the problems. All the, 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 the problems of Genesis 3. All the, the issues of sin will be fixed completely. And they've been paid for. But they will be dealt with uh, for unbelievers, completely fixed as Jesus returns. And for the time is near. And look at John's greeting, verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. Um, these are uh, churches in, in uh, not the continent of, of Asia, but the, uh, the Roman province of Asia. It's, it's modern-day western Turkey. And there are seven churches that he writes to in chapters 2 and 3. He's mentions later in, in the, this chapter, but his greeting is grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So this is possibly a, a, a kind of a Trinitarian greeting, a triunitarian Perhaps we can say greeting. Um, if the seven-souled spirit refers to the spirit, not completely sure, but it's highlighting the miraculous work of God. But you have the first mention, the phrase of him who is and who was and who is to come. And this is reference to the Father. This is the, the Father. Because we know that because the next verse says, and from Jesus Christ. And so we have this greeting from, from God. And highlighting Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That's his uh, kind of resurrection title. The firstborn of the dead. And that will be the case for those in Christ Jesus. He will raise us up as well. We will have a bodily resurrection, something to look forward to. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. If you remember in any of the Christmas Verses that you may have heard this past week, there was so, there's so much mention. It's hard to not go through Luke, or, or especially the first couple chapters, and not hear David, 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 the family of David, 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 mentioned many, many times. And Jesus will be the ruler of the kings on the earth. Um, that will be his uh, fulfillment of uh, being in the line of David, reigning on the throne of David. And so 
when Christ comes back, um, the first lap, so to speak, was a suffering servant, but one lap awaits, and he will come to reign. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Sort of like the, uh, uh, the Revelation 5 verse and the song that we sang, uh, speaking of uh, the lamb that was slain, the lamb that, that paid the price. This is the phrase is freed us by his blood. There was a cost right? Um, And he paid that penalty for us. And he made us a kingdom, priest to his God. We now have access to the Father through Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. We can come and talk to the living God. That's the, 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 the beauty of the gospel, that he died so that we could have life. And that life is from God. And that life means we get to speak to the author of life. Behold, he is coming. And this, he is coming with the clouds. Um, probably a reference to Daniel 7 um, and other verses that speak of uh, one who will come in the clouds. This is the return. He will come in the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who, who pierced him. Perhaps referring particularly to the Jews uh, who put him on the cross or the enemies of of, of Jesus, even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So there's certainty with the return of Christ. In verse 8, I love this verse. Uh, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So the uh, Truth number one was that there was a blessing for those who read, hear, and keep this prophecy. Um, truth number two, if you're writing something down, is our Almighty God is before all, above all, and beyond all. That's what this word really, Almighty, entails that. Almighty God is, is one who is before all, one who is above all, and one who is beyond all. So the Alpha and the, the Omega, this is sort of like the Father's seal. Um, he's, he's the begin, first and the last. Um, the, these are the, the first and last letters of, of the Greek alphabet. He's the first and the last. He's everything in between. It's sort of like the, the, his, uh, his name Yahweh in the Old Testament. He is who He is. He always eternally existed and, and always will be the great I Am. The Almighty, this is, uh, um, I, don't always, I don't always repeat Greek words, but this, this is one of those words that's just powerful. It's pantokrator. I mean, if that doesn't just like radiate power, I don't know what does. But you can say it with me. Pantokrator. Say it one more time. Pantokrator. All right, we, what's going on here? One, one more time, one more time. Pantokrator. All right, so this is the Almighty right? Um, our God is almighty. There's nothing that is, is, that, is, that, is, uh, that is beyond Him, right? He is completely sovereign, and He rules over history, and everything is leading up to the return of Christ. There's nothing, uh, it doesn't matter what mess that you've been in or what mess uh, that you're in right now, 
our God is the Lord of all. He's the Ponto Crator. He is, uh, Ponto means uh, everything or all. Crator means to hold in his hands. So how beautiful is that? The song that, that is saying as kids sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's the Ponto Crator. He's got everything, everything in his hands. And that, that's encouragement. Um, He's the Lord of all. He's the Lord of our time. He's the Lord of our resources. He's the Lord of our failures. He's the Lord of our highs, our lows, everything in between. God uses things um, to work for His glory and our good. So moving on from that, verses 9 to the rest of the chapter, uh, the way John got the prophecy. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus. I'm going to kind of be reading fast on some of these was on the island called Patmos, uh, this little island in the Mediterranean Sea or Aegean Sea near, uh, somewhat, I think, near Ephesus, uh, where he was put on the island because of uh, uh, persecution on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Jesus. Uh, so he's a, he's a co-laborer, and he's put on there because of persecution. Verse 10, I was, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, so some sort of vision that he, he was transported to. Um, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what, you have, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. These are the seven churches in, in Revelation 2 and 3. Uh, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then turning to the voice in verse 12... Then I turned to the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. What is that? Well, he's going to interpret it in just a second. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man. Again, Daniel 7 language. Uh, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. So, um, truth number three here before we get in is a proper view of Christ leads to endurance. A proper view of Christ leads to endurance. So John is getting this vision. Um, he's, he, he actually gets fearful. He falls at his feet as though he's dead. Um, but a proper view of Christ is what helps lead to endurance. Um, and that's part of our, the encouragement I hope that we have today is that we have a proper view of Christ to know that, that who he is, the person of Christ, and that he's coming back again. So these lampstands, in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like white wool, like snow. So this is describing, this is describing Jesus. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. You ever heard like a rushing waterfall? In his, feet, uh, in his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Uh, so, a proper view of Christ leads to endurance. And we don't, you know, you've heard the phrase, we don't always know the future, but we know the one who holds the future. A proper view and perspective on Christ is key to endurance. Turn to him. Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. I heard the phrase recently, I'd rather be dead at the feet of Christ, or I'd rather than, than uh, uh, what was it? Uh, I can't remember, never mind. Um, 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me. Imagine the comfort John had after being so fearful. Most people are fearful by these kind of visions or uh, in the Bible or angelic messages, things like that. Imagine the hand of Christ. Imagine in your, in, in, in your life, um, it, this week, last week, the things that are going on in your life, if Christ put his hand on you, said, fear not. Fear not. Right? How many times did he do that throughout the Gospels, in the boat, in the storms? Fear not. Fear not. I am with you. All throughout the Scriptures, God says, fear not, fear not. And here he says to John, as he laid his right hand on him, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades Write, therefore, the things that you have seen. And this is what I kind of see as a helpful possible outline of the book of Revelation. Write, therefore, things that you have seen. Which, what has John seen? This is uh, chapter 1. The thing, write that down. Write, therefore, things that you have seen. Chapter 1. Those that are, uh, those that are, uh, this Possibly is chapter 2 and 3, the, the, the messages to the churches and those that are to take place after this. Possibly the rest of the book, the future. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. So now is it, he's, in, he's giving you the meaning. This is helpful. What, this lampstand, what are these seven golden lampstands and the stars? The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, so the relay of the message from the Father to Jesus to John to the angels, these messengers are going to deliver this revelation to the different churches, the seven churches throughout Asia Minor. Christ is involved. He's at work in the local churches. Right? So you guys, the church is extremely important. If you ever read through Revelation 2 and 3, you'll see the, uh, the struggles that some of the churches had, uh, but some of the good things that they did and some of the encouragements that, that is given. This message, the angels or a messenger of some sort delivered this message to the churches. And this was, this was important information because the church is Christ's church. He is the chief shepherd, and he is at work in the churches. It's important to remember that the, the church is a lampstand, not the lamp. The church is pointing to the light of the world, but the church itself is not the light. And so our purpose is not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify Christ. And that concludes chapter 1. And so what I'm going to do for for just a minute, is, uh, is just move through Revelation. John goes on to, to record that message to the churches in chapters 2 and 3. Um, and then in chapters 4 and 5, there's this picture of a heavenly throne room. We read uh, that and sang about that, the redemption song, that, that one day every tribe and from every tongue and from every nation, we're going to bow before the Lord and sing that redemption song. And it will never, ever get old. But in that, 
Jesus would not be just if he didn't carry out the judgment of God, if he did not pour out the wrath of God upon sin. And so the Bible, Revelation, describes these judgments um, in terms that are called seals, uh, that are called bowls, and they're called trumpets. And they're, they're basically judgments that uh, need to be opened and poured out upon the earth at some point in the future. And no one was found worthy to open the, the, the seal or the scroll to pour out the judgment. Yet Jesus was the worthy one. He was the second Adam, the perfect one who is worthy of all things. And so in chapters uh, 6 through 19, the rest of the book almost is a time of judgment where the wrath of God is poured out. It's a time of horror that the world has never seen before, where people are actually hiding from rocks and wanting to be killed. But in light of all that, people still refuse to repent. People will seek death, but will not find it. God allows these things to happen. This is part of the great day of the Lord, uh, a day of accountability where God's going to judge. He's going to judge the world that's rebelled and rejected Him. Uh, It's also a time of great blessing that God is going to return, uh, or Jesus is going to return. Um, But it won't happen until a few other things happen. And we learn in Revelation that there's going to be... um, uh, almost like a, I even hate—I I even hate to describe it like this—but an unholy trinity kind of uh, group of people, where you have uh, the beast and uh, the, the false prophet, um, and you have uh, uh, the antichrist is, is described as the beast, this 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 ruler um, who is like a Superman type person who the world will follow, and he will uh, be the head of of this uh, final world rule, and he will deceive the nations. And this Antichrist will be, will be uh, uh, promoted. And things culminate when the kings of the earth in Revelation 16, by the influence of the beast and the false prophet and Satan, are gathered together. So from the influence of this, this terrible Antichrist person who sets up this abomination of desolation, he's going to influence the kings of the earth and the nations to gather for the great war of God Almighty that Revelation 16 points to. And that all leads up. All history is headed to this one point. And that's where we get chills and we just wait because we know what's going to happen next. And that's Revelation 19. So if you look at Revelation 19 at just the right time, a time that no one knows, so no date setters please, Revelation 19, verse 11. Revelation 19, 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. I've heard some kids think that this is a good um, verse to beg their parents for a tattoo, but um, I'm not sure I'd go with that one. But uh, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, uh, 
which I see as the church being taken out of this terrible time of tribulation and us actually returning with Christ as the armies of heaven, um, but not all see that. Arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, we're following him on white horses, and from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if you go on reading, um, you will see that... uh, in the words of a, a great movie, um, he didn't get dressed up for nothing. He came in war clothes, um, and people were gathered together to wage war against the king. And by the appearance of his coming, Second Thessalonians tells us, by the breath of his mouth, he slayed the lawless one. And he captured them he captured the, the, uh, the false prophet and the beast and he threw them into the lake of fire. Where, and then chapter 20, Jesus sets up his, his kingdom, his millennium. Uh, Satan is defeated and Jesus reigns victoriously on the throne of David, um, for which I see as a literal thousand years, but not everyone sees it like that. Some see that it's a, a spiritual reign, um, but I see it as a, a reign on earth Um, as Israel's king, this time uh, when actually Satan will be chained and bound for a thousand years, and then he will get released and then ultimately defeated again once and for all. And interesting, um, Satan probably knows that. He He probably knows that his time is limited. I would assume he knows the word of God pretty well. And he's targeting us right now. But his time is limited. His time will be cut short. He will be defeated. And he will be thrown into the lake of fire. And we will reign with Jesus. God's purpose on earth will be fulfilled. Jesus, as the the second Adam, uh, will not fail to do what the first Adam did. And in Revelation 21 and 22, um, the bride will will be ready for the groom. Because Jesus is making all things new. In the beginning, uh, Genesis 1, you have these parallels uh, in the garden, um, in the beginning, but Jesus, uh, God says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. God creates the heavens and the earth in Genesis. In Revelation, God creates a new heaven and earth. Genesis, death enters. Revelation, because of Jesus, death will be no more. Genesis, sinful people lose fellowship with God. Jesus coming back, people will serve in openness. See, community will be restored. There will be no more tears, no more pain. People will not be forbidden to eat from the tree of life. People will freely eat and live. And so um, a few things, uh, a few really applications that I hope you can take from this. Number one, live in light of eternity. Live as citizens uh, of another kingdom. Live here in light of eternity. Time is so short. And based on the funerals that we had recently, you know that. Share the rescue message now. Share the rescue message now. Spur one another on. 
and comfort each other as we cling to the promises of God. Because one thing is true, God's faithfulness in the past is a, is, a, is a promise and a model for his faithfulness in the future. He will fulfill his promises. Because the blessed hope of, of, uh, that we have is Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the glorious appearing, appearing of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Our hope is not a wishy-washy hope. Our hope is not in... Um, in words or labels or positions, but our hope is in the person of Jesus Christ because he's coming back to reign, to restore. I want to conclude by reading Revelation 22, verses 12 through 21. Actually, I'm going to read verses 17 through 21. Revelation 22, verses 17 through 21. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Notice there's, a, there's a, that's the, the church, uh, or the Spirit and the bride say, come. There's, there's, a, there's a longing for believers. Come, Lord Jesus, come. But there's also an invitation. And let the one who hears Say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires uh, to take the water of life without price. So there's a, there's a, uh, those who are thirsty, those who are in need of the only stream that can fulfill the longing that all humanity has can only be found in Jesus Christ. And so there's an invitation of that not only for believers to long for the, the person of Jesus to come, but for unbelievers who are thirsty to now say, come, to know Christ and to receive his forgiveness. There is a, uh, a book by C.S. Lewis called The Silver Chair, um, where the lion Aslan, who's often pictured as, as this king-like figure, um, has an interaction with, uh, with a girl named Jill, and I think it describes what we're reading here, and so I want to I read this to you. Now, the lion begins and speaks to this girl named Jill. He says, are you not thirsty, said the lion. I am dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to, to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. I daren't, I daren't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. There is no other stream that will fulfill and completely restore other than Jesus Christ alone. The book concludes in verse 20. It says, He who testify to these things, 
says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the opportunity to walk through um, a book that is uh, uh, often, quite frankly, probably avoided. Um, or people are at one end of the spectrum and all over the place. And um, I confess, I certainly don't know everything. Um, but one thing I do is that there in, indeed is no other stream other than the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that this would be an encouragement for us to live in light of eternity, to, to, um, to live now, uh, to share the rescue message now. Um, God, there's so many people in need, and I uh, pray that we would be uh, that you would move us to do that by your Spirit. And that as we do that, as we grow, as this church grows, as a new covenant community, and dwelt by the Spirit that's being built up by the reading of the Word, by discipleship, and by um, the spurring on of one another, that they would be uh, also sent out and uh, effective in reaching people for Christ so that they can drink of the only stream that is there. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.